Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, when we get to chapter 7 next next week, he changes gears. So this kind of wraps up the whole idea of God's provision, our daily bread, and whatnot. So when we look at this passage, we also know in the Gospel of Luke, there's a similar passage where he talks about the ravens being fed and taken care of, and the lilies of the field again. So we see with Jesus, he, would, he had certain themes that he would teach on a regular basis that would pop up about just different events in the human experience. Now, also in this passage, going back to earlier on in chapter 6, like I mentioned, back in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, after we get the kingdom perspective, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's perspective. Then he said, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. So in the Lord's Prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread encompasses everything that I need and you need, humanity needs, 8 billion people in time, space, and matter. Think about that for a minute. In the Lord's Prayer, this is, this is the pattern of prayer. Everything you possibly need in the human experience for time, space, and matter. Time is right now. 6.40 Pacific Standard Time, the 4th of September, 2021. Time, space, we're at the address here, the Shoreline Baptist Church in the sanctuary. We're sharing it together. Matter, that's, that's, that's Daniel and Donna sitting together, right? Like, that's all of us together is our matter. You know, like, this is, we're here from the dust we came, the dust will return. But right now we're in time, space, and matter. And all that's encompassed of what our needs are in the human experience from Adam and Eve in the garden to the last, to the end of the age as we understand it, our needs are referred to in the Lord's Prayer as daily bread. That word bread encompasses what we would eat, what we would drink, what we'd wear, where we live, what we own, our recreation, your golf clubs, your surfboard, your skateboard, your new dress, your walk, your your new phone, your iPhone, your car, your used car, the car that you love, the car that you hate, everything in between. It's daily bread. It's all there, daily bread. And as we move toward eternity, simplicity settles in. And we talk about this. When you're young, you might travel the world. As you get older, your, your circumference of what you travel gets less and less to where you're like my dad at 91, where he wakes up in this bed. He sits in that chair and looks out the window he walks to that bathroom in the same room and he goes to the dining hall. And that's his, that's his orbit. See, so as you get a bit older, your orbit, I've kind of got like Huntington Beach orbit. It's uh, our house off Indianapolis. It's the pier. It's electric bike ride to Bolsa Chica, electric bike ride to Newport Beach. It's here. Sometimes it's Big Calvary. It's Mungo Coffee. It's... Uh, Whole Foods, right? It, it's, it's pretty, it's, you know, it's already kind of like this. And of course, the grandkids in Florida, then it, I go to another galaxy when I go visit the grandkids. So it's like, just like a little planetary thing here, and that's another galaxy, but space travel, we get there and we go visit them. As you get older, things simplify. When you're young, they're simple, right? Don't all of our kids, little kids, they know we're going to take care of them, meet all their needs. They don't worry about the roof over our head, how the, how the mortgage is going to be paid. They don't worry about dinner being there. Dinner's going to be there in most cases. When you're worried about how you're going to provide, the Lord provided a way and you took care of them. 
But then you become an adult and you worry about all these things from about 15 on or even a little bit earlier. You, work, you worry about these things. And eventually, even if you're older and you don't have enough money and you have a small pension, there'll come a day where you don't worry that much about it. I remember my dad, and I've shared this story. It's a great story, very insightful. Because just a few months after he got a letter from the bank saying his house was paid off, he was moving into assisted living. And he said, you know, Joe, it's a curse of life. You finally pay off your house, and then you got to go live in an old folks' home. And he left. My dad has a good sense of humor about those things. In the first couple of years he was there, he asked me, how's the estate going, what's his net worth, and all this stuff. He hasn't asked me that for years, because it doesn't matter. He's 91. Things I asked him two years ago, he could tell me about Vietnam or this or that. He, didn't, he was like, you know, Joe, I just don't remember. It's so simple for my dad. He's got this little world, and he comes to our house once a week. I give him a fresh shave. We watch the Little League World Series championship game. You know, He loves breakfast, so we just make him breakfast. He eats everything that's breakfast and anything other than not breakfast. My dad's life, once very complex, is very simple. When I asked him why he bought property at Lake Monticello in Charlottesville years ago, he said, well, you know, Joe, I, I, I was in the Marine Corps. I did all these things, and there comes a day when a man wants to own a piece of planet Earth. And I bought that property at Lake Monticello. And I go, well, why'd you sell it? And he goes, because there comes a time in a man's life when he realizes he doesn't need a piece of planet Earth. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) We start out as nursing babes, and we end up with daily bread that someone's bringing to our room or telling us it's time to go to the dining hall. That's the way it works. we got to keep that perspective. Oh, but there's so much we worry about in between all that there, isn't there? Now, most of us in this room cannot relate to being worried about shoes, clothing, stuff like that. In our society, in our culture, there's really no one that I can think of that is want for clothes in Southern California. There are very generous ministries like OC Rescue Mission and just all kinds of things and places in our, in our society. America's a beautiful country. We've, we've clothed naked people for centuries. It's a great place to be. So it's hard for us to relate to something like, okay, daily bread, we know food, but most of us don't worry about where we're going to get our next meal from. And we don't worry about what we're going to wear. But of course, a good portion of the world is like that. We recently sent a, not a huge gift, to the orphanage there in Uganda that we help out with. It was on my heart for a couple of days. Send, send us some money, you know. We, we have the hookup. We have the codes. Boom, there it goes. Comes in there. They get it in Uganda currency, this, you know, and they access it through their phone, and they can do this. They sent me a picture of all the orphans getting shoes. They were barefoot. 35 orphans, no shoes. All under lockdown because of COVID. Much more severe than here. They got new shoes. They do the big heart with thank you, Joey, and they got all their feet bare feet, and they take the same picture with their shoes on. They thank me, but it's really you. It's us. But it comes through me because it's because I saw it on Instagram and thought we should pray for these people. And God's like, help those people do something new. Step out in faith. So like I said before, I kind of get credit in time, but you get credit in eternity. But we just gave shoes to like 35 orphans that don't have shoes in Africa. And Emmanuel, the pastor, was saying how they, they, their feet have been getting cut up, the chiggers get in, their, get in their skin, and all these things. So, like, again, we don't, I'm worried about buying new shoes down at the Puma Outlet store, right? San Clemente. And they're, they're, they're happy to have these basic sandals to protect their feet. So we just need to, we need to have a broad perspective of time, space, and matter, plus societies and cultures apart from ours. So I share that with you to start this message this evening to get that perspective. In this passage, Jesus has three big therefores. And what I say about the therefores, you need to know what they're there for. The first therefore is, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. So the therefore is based upon that you can't serve two masters, so it's connecting the previous thoughts about treasures in heaven, all that kind of stuff. But therefore do not worry about your life. Okay, that's good, we like that. Then verse 31 says, therefore, do not worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Again, daily bread. So just put in your car payment, your mortgage payment, your rent, all that stuff, because it all comes under daily bread. So when we say daily, when we say bread, it's everything from the Lord's Prayer. It's everything in time, space, and matter. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about everything that you're worried about. 
Don't worry about it. And then the last one is in the last verse where he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. So Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your needs in time, space, and matter, your daily bread. And don't worry about tomorrow. Those are the three therefores. There's eight questions in this passage. Verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor your body, what you'll put on. So question number one, is not life more than food and body? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Question number one. Talking of the birds of the air, how God takes care of them, are you not more value than they? The birds of the air, that's question number two. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? In other words, how can, which of you by worrying can elevate your perspective, right? You ever think about that? If you're adding a cubit to your stature, you're getting taller. When you get taller, what do you do? You get a greater view, a better view. So which of us by worrying increases our view and expands our perspective? Does worry expand our perspective to see more things, or does it cause us to retract and into more of a despondent state? So what good, basically what Jesus is saying was, do you ever elevate your vision when you're worried about who's on the throne on earth and what men and women in power are doing to exercise power over others, which Jesus said they always do? What can you do? Are you going to get, which of you by worrying can add to your perspective when you do that? Then the fourth question, verse 20, why do you worry about your clothing? You look at the lilies in the field, think of springtime. All the poppy fields, particularly in the Inland Empire, uh, kind of by Lake Elsinore, how beautiful they get there. So then we get another question. Okay, verse 30. Now, so if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is tomorrow, so in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So when you see all the beauty of spring green in Southern California, and he does all that, and all those beautiful wildflowers, the yellow ones, the status, the wild status, and the poppies. And all, it's just, okay, so we not take care of you, O you of little faith? If he does that, take care of you. Remember, he's talking to his disciples. But remember, Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. He's good to the good and evil. Then in verse 31, he says, okay, so when you're worried, don't say this. Okay, so this, we don't want to say this, but these are three questions that we say. So these are questions. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? So there's our questions. The things we think about. How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for that? What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? And then also, in this passage, we get two heavenly fathers. This is important to me because in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, we talked about this, eight times he says, your father who is in heaven, that relationship with the father through Jesus. And then one time he said, our father. So early on in this chapter, eight times your father. One time they're our father. And then now he says, your heavenly father. Well, in the Lord's Prayer, it's our Father in heaven. So that's the hour of a personal pronoun. Our Father, because we're adopted sons through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been, Romans 8, we've been adopted in the family. We're joint heirs with Christ. So God, our Father, God of the universe, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, is our Father in heaven. Our Father relationship in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So our Father is in heaven, the throne room, Revelation 4. You know, the rainbow over the throne, the four living creatures, all that. That's our Father. And here, Jesus sort of expands it for the disciples. He says, your heavenly Father. So it's no longer your Father, 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 and our Father. It's your Father in heaven. So he's reminding us that God is our Father and where he's at. He's changed, he's changed the wording in the text from the Lord's Prayer. It's elevating. He's, he's, for the disciple, now we need to know he's not just our, your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father, but he's our Father and he's in heaven. So now that we've laid the foundation of that, now we come back to God being our Father in heaven. He just says, your, your heavenly Father 
It's not like we're revisiting that math equation. We already learned that math equation. It's not your father, your father, our father. Now it's like your father, your heavenly father. It's already established. Earthly fathers that love their children, we understand. Your heavenly father, heavenly father, twice. And we're talking about provision and being taken care of and not being anxious and having anxiety. And last but not least, in this passage, just once the word faith is used, O oh, you of little faith, which would be a warning because it's to be careful if we're, if we're fretting about, oh, God's got to do this, and we're just totally freaking out, that could be little faith, O oh, you of little faith. And, of course, he used that term a lot with the apostles of little faith. He used it numerous times. Where was your faith and all this kind of stuff. So to review, there's three therefores not to worry about your life, not to worry about what you're going to eat, and not to worry about tomorrow. Then there's eight questions. There's two heavenly fathers and one faith. This is the template by which we're, we're in tonight on God's provision for us. And in this template, we draw our attention to God's faithfulness is confirmed for every believer. For every disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus expects that we understand that God is faithful to take care of us and his faithfulness is confirmed in the context by the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap but gather in barns nor gather into barns yet God takes care of them and we are of more value to our heavenly father than the birds and then consider okay so look he says verse 26 look at the birds of the air okay so mm, science is observation right Science is observation and provable. Look at the birds of the air. Do you look at birds when they fly by? Like you're down at the beach and the pelicans go by, you just go like, oh, look at that, yeah, right? Or seagulls, just like, there they go, right? Or you're walking in your neighborhood and all of a sudden there goes three hummingbirds, like, you're like, oh, look at them, there they go, right? Or the ducks, you know, they fly off the two ducks that live in your neighborhood and they see you, the dogs chasing the little cavaliers and they, go, and they fly away. You follow the birds? Do you pay attention to birds? They all declared it. Every bird is declaring to every believer that God provides for us. The ducks will have food today. The sparrows will have food today. The hummingbirds will have food today. The seagulls will have food today. The pelicans will have food today. He, he, he takes care of them. It's science for us to observe as disciples the birds being taken care of. And then also consider. So he says, look at the birds. All right, yeah, I'm looking at the birds. Yeah, I see it. Okay, I get it. Then consider the lilies of the field. So consider. It's like when you're driving by Camp Pendleton in March and it's all green. Or you're going down the 15 by Lake Elsinore and it's all green in March. Might even be a little bit of snow at Palomar Mountain. We're to look at that and see those flowers and those poppies between the north and southbound lanes on the 15, and we're to, we're to think about it. We're to consider the lilies of the field. Hmm. They just showed up in the springtime like they do every springtime. That's what they do. Like swallows going back to Capistrano. That's what they do. God gives us the birds of the air and the lilies of the field to see and to consider that God is faithful to his people. His faithfulness to his church and to you and I as disciples of Jesus Christ, if you are disciples of Jesus Christ, you've given your life to Christ. And even not, just know this, he's good to the just and the unjust. Remember when Paul preached on Mars Hill and these other places, he's like, God, God took care of you, he gave you such good things, he gave you rain and food and all this stuff, but you're worshiping the wrong gods. But God is good all the time, and he does good. So God's faithfulness is confirmed by the birds that we see every day and by the spring flowers, the lilies of the field. But I would also add that God's faithfulness is confirmed to us by two other things that are even more profound than this. Now, this is science. We can see this. Birds, lilies, poppies, that's science. We can see that. 
But his faithfulness to his church, every generation and every timeline, is also confirmed by his word and the testimony of the saints. Because it says in Revelation chapter 6, when the fifth seal is opened before the altar of God, there are the saints martyred for their faith. And they are there and they have the confirmation of the word of God confirmed to them and their testimony. Now, we've been through the Old Testament and we looked at Deuteronomy and we looked at numbers in these passages and we know and we'll get to the book of Joshua and we see it in other places in the historical books where they'd say, hey, gather near the Ebenezer stone. Thus far, let's make it clear, God has been with us the whole way. Not one promise has failed. Not one word has not come to pass. We know that. From the dawn of creation, when God spoke to Adam and Eve personally in the garden and said, this is the tree of life. That's the one you want. This is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one you don't want. God has spoken. His word confirms his goodness. His word confirms his love, his righteousness, his justice, his equity, and every beautiful thing in his universe. His word. So we, we know that God's faithfulness, faithfulness is confirmed by the birds and the field, the flowers in the field, but we also know that his faithfulness is confirmed by his word. He even said, put me to the test. I tell you things before they happen, and then when they happen, you know that my word is true. His faithfulness is confirmed by his word, so therefore all the promises of God are yes, yes, and amen. So we know that whenever we're just standing on the promises of God, that's full confirmation, and we're not going to be moved from that. We cannot be moved. The believer is standing on a rock when they're standing on God's promises from Genesis to Revelation, and his word is confirmed. His faithfulness is confirmed to his people by his word. But we also see with the testimony of the saints that his faithfulness is confirmed to us. I was speaking with my sister the other day, and she got to share her testimony from being homeless and what God did in her life and making, you know, repenting, getting right, doing everything right, and how God took her from living behind the Dempsey dumpster there at the dollar store and Vista to a beautiful home in Florida and a good job at Home Depot and involved in the local church now. And she just cries when she talks about it. It's just such a powerful story of redemption. But she said, yeah, and I, oh, Joy, I share my story and, and people just listen. Of course they listen because it's a testimony of truth. It's a testimony of God's goodness. It's a testimony of faith that you have. Like when Jeremy Campos's wife, his first wife, he, he would always say to me like, Joey, when I tell people about what I've been through, they listen. I'm like, of course they do. No one's going to tell a man who lost his beautiful bride four months after their wedding that, they're, that he can't talk. You have a testimony, and it's a powerful one. He wrote all those songs and went number one, and now he's in his 40s, and he's still just writing beautiful songs, telling people Jesus is coming, and it'll, it'll all work together for good. And you walk by faith, it'll all have a happy ending. They overcame by the, by the word of God and their testimony. And these declare God's faithfulness. So when you share your testimony, when you think about, you look back at God's faithfulness in your life, once Jesus becomes the author and finisher of your faith, you have a testimony, and God's goodness and provision for us is confirmed. And you, you often forget, like, what he's done. Like, you, you appreciate in the moment where it's so profound but as you get older and you get down the road, you forget, like, oh, remember, yeah, the day I got the $17 in tips, and then the check was there at the house for $170. Or when these people felt like to send us money every month for the 12 months we lived in Vermont, not a month before, not a month after. You're like Elijah at the Brook Cherith, being fed by the ravens. Like, these, these, as the song says, the evidence of your goodness all over my life. You know, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. Look, consider. Birds, lilies, the word of God, the testimony. And we all have those things as we go forward in the Lord. It's impossible not to have them. Because the testimony of Christ's work in our life is good. It's good. David, the man, after God's own heart, said, taste and see that the Lord is good. The book of James tells us concerning the life of Job and all of his hardships that in the end, the good that God intended in the end when it was all said and done. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes and being conformed to express image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
God's faithfulness is confirmed to us in nature, through his word, and our personal testimony. And that's why it's important we can write down things and remember things and and talk about things. When you see people from your past with the Lord and you can talk about stuff and you start laughing. I was talking to my good friend Jim O'Connor in Virginia Beach today. It's been on my heart to call Jim. Pastor Jim. He's a farmer. He can plow. That's like literally in life. He's just a plower. He said, hey, head down, eyes to the sky. Like, do your job and look for Jesus to come. But he's involved at a church there in Virginia Beach who the pastor used to go to the church in Virginia Beach when we pastored in the early 90s, Jimmy Coates. He did Young Life, really neat kid. Loved Jimmy Coates. I did his wedding. Him and Dee got married. We lived their house for a couple weeks before we moved to Vermont. Longtime friends. They still keep in touch. He pastors a church. Now, they, they were meeting at a school before COVID. They lost the school building. Now, they're meeting, they're meeting in a hotel, which... For Jim O'Connor is right down his alley, because in Vermont we met in a hotel. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, we, you know, pastoring churches in, in hotels, man, we we know that one. That's in our DNA. We've done that. Econolodge, Burlington, right? But I learned something about Jim's story. So there's Jim O'Connor and Jimmy Coates. So Jimmy Coates is the one pastoring the church now in Virginia Beach. Jim O'Connor took over the church in Vermont after we left for seven years. He's a senior pastor. Then he pastored at Calvary Chapel in Binghamton, New York, where he's from, that region. Then he helped out with the Calvary Chapel in Williamsburg for years. Then he helped out with the Calvary Chapel in Newport News with Tony Clark. We all know Tony Clark, Pastor Tony. He was associate pastor for Tony Clark for a couple years. And then he's now back in Virginia Beach, off the peninsula, as they say, which is Newport News, and down by the beach. There, And he works in the public school system. He's a janitor. He, Jim could do anything. He worked at McDonald's when he planted the church in Vermont. And what he never told us when we started the church in Vermont is that they used every, all the money they had to get to this hotel. We never knew this, but they lived off Bisquick pancakes for a week. Because they're like George Mueller. They don't take it to men. They take it to the Lord. Him and his kids and his wife, Pam, we never knew this at the time. They only ate Bisquick pancakes for over a week. But I found out something new to the story. When they were all out of food at one point in Vermont, we were so stretched in Vermont. We all were. He got a $25 check in the mail from Jimmy Coates. And that $25 gave them food to eat for days and days. And now... He's serving at Christ Community Church, meeting in a hotel, has less people in the church than it did a year and a half ago, like a lot of churches, blessing Jimmy Coates, ministering to the congregation, and giving spiritual counsel, including two captains of aircraft carriers in the Atlantic fleet. $25 in the mail 30 years ago. That's good measure pressed down in case you're not following me here. Jimmy Coates, who's, you know, he's a young kid at the time. Him and Dee were go-getters, you know. They sent a $25 check in 1995 to Burlington, Vermont, to Jim O'Connor. And now, almost 30 years later, Jim O'Connor owns a home in Virginia Beach. And they go to the church, and they serve, and they love, and they bless the congregation. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I never knew that part of the story. I knew, I learned a couple years ago they ate Bizquick for a week, pancakes. I never knew that they also got a $25 check from Jimmy Coates that gave them food to eat. And you see, and you younger people that are with us tonight, you understand, you need your testimony. See, I can tell you my Vermont stories. I can tell you Jim O'Connor stories and Jimmy Coates' story. You need your story. You need your testimony of faith. You, know, you need to know what it's like to leave a, a manager position in a carpet warehouse with 20 employees to go as a deacon and plant a church in Vermont and work at McDonald's three weeks later, dipping fries with teenagers. Because those are the stories by which you gain fiber and character and conviction and testimony. So when you read Jesus saying, look at the birds, look at the fields, you go, I do see the birds, and I do see the field, and I'll tell you what, not one good promise ever filled in his word, and his testimony in life is yes, yes, and amen. 
We see the evidence of his goodness all over our life. It's confirmed. Then we also see our personal priorities. I like to quote this verse a lot. You know that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we see God's faithfulness confirmed by science all around us, by his word and by the testimony of his faithfulness in our life. Then we see our own personal priorities. So in this whole mix of all that God's going to do, all he's going to provide, he takes care of the birds, he takes care of the the lilies of the field and all these things, what's our responsibility? In all of this, he's saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. And then he says, you know what, just your heavenly father knows what you need. Now he said that earlier in the Lord's Prayer. In verse 8 he said, do not be like the world with vain repetition. You, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So remember, daily bread is everything in time, space, and matter. Like, Lord, I could really use a new laptop with this job or the new semester. He knows what you need. And here he says in verse 32, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So before it was your father knows, now it's your heavenly father knows. He's a little, you know, a little more... Like, oh, dad knows. No, we're not talking about your dad in his office in Long Beach or in Costa Mesa. We're talking about your heavenly father knows. Not your earthly father who might want to do a lot of good for you, but your heavenly father. See, earthly fathers always have a limit because no no matter who tries to take the whole world, what's it profit him, Jesus said. Oligarchs and monarchs and kings and aristocrats come and go. But our Heavenly Father owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a way of saying like he owns everything from the microscopic to the macro, the trillions of stars in the universe. He's got it. What do we do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added to you. There's a promise. If we just keep the Lord first, if we keep Christ in throne in our heart, if we just keep our focus on Jesus He's promising to meet all of our needs of daily bread as they are defined by him. Seek first. Jesus is first. It's Christ before Caesar, always. And it's Christ before humanity, always. It's Christ before dreams, always. It's even Christ before family, right? That's the cost of discipleship. See, God is always going to do what's good, and we can always trust him. People say you just got to have faith. Well, you got to have faith. But the object of your faith has a lot to do with what the end result of your faith will be. If your faith is in prime ministers and kings and queens, your faith ultimately will come short because there's less than perfection. In character in capability and motivation. But if the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, there's perfect character, perfect ability. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, no shadow of turning, and the ability to get it done. Jesus can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. He can call call forth Lazarus from the grave. He can knock down the soldiers coming to take him on the cross just to show him he does have the final authority. He can stay on the cross when they mock him, even though he could have struck them all down dead right there. You will not, yes, it is as you say, and you will see me as the power when I come in glory, when every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. There's no limit. The motive, the perfect, the end result is perfection, and the cap- capability to accomplish the actions are perfect. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful. Omnipresent, too. There's nothing thought, said, or done that will not be brought to light. All things are naked and bare and open before him to whom we must give an account. So don't let the winking of feet and the shuffling of feet of shysty, sinister men and women upset you in 2021. And me, too, for that matter. There's, there's nothing hidden that will be revealed. The more I talked to Jim O'Connor today, I said, you know what, Jim, I can't wait to see you ruling over some galaxy. He's all, what? <laughs> he was on sale for a small star. Who knows what this is all about, time, space, and matter? We're told we're going to rule and reign with him. This is all a test. It's all a test. 
This is all the test. All of it. For what really matters, eternity. And there's no, there's no redo on the test. You know, back in the 70s when I took the GED, I had the comfort of knowing if I failed, I could take it again. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like you got in eternity. <laughs> you get one life. Only, only one life will pass. Only one for Christ will last. Yeah. So we seek first the kingdom, and we keep Jesus first, and we seek first him. David said, in the morning I will seek you, in the late at night I will seek you. Jesus got up early in the morning before light sought, the, sought to speak with the heavenly Father. And we seek him, and as we seek him, we seek the kingdom, because going back to the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come this day. So as we're seeking him first, we're seeking the kingdom, not our will imposed on him, but the kingdom that he's shown us what it is. We're getting the mind of Christ and the kingdom, and then we come from that, and we go out with the kingdom and the vision of the kingdom. And the perspective that we can walk out prison doors like Peter in the book of Acts, or our coat can heal people like Paul in the book of Acts, or we're going to die a martyr's death like Stephen in the book of Acts, and Jesus is standing for us when we're throwing rocks at us. The kingdom, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So their perspective on how we see ourselves in the mirror, what our priorities are, personal character, the decisions we make, how we act and react is based upon Christ in us, the hope of glory and a spirit-filled life, and thus the kingdom is advancing in and through us to the blessing of other people around us. That's what we do. We, we get the mind of Christ and think like he thinks, and then we bring the kingdom to our world. That's what we do. And then in so doing, what do we need to worry about? Oh, I forgot to ask the Lord for this thing. Jesus already said the Father knows what you need before you ask. So if we lose our life and our prayer life and just praise God and intercede for other people and have a, ki- a vision for the kingdom much bigger than ours, and then you're like, oh, I forgot that. Oh, yeah, I forgot to pray about asking for a raise. You go to work and the boss says, hey, you know, it's time for you to get a raise. Well, you might go to work and the boss says you're fired. You're like, oh, well, man can choose nothing unless it comes from the Lord. You just have the perspective. It's not about the boss giving you a raise or firing you. It's about Jesus on the throne guiding you and refining you for all eternity and his purposes. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation, I open a door that no man can close. And I close a door that no man can open. And that's the bottom line in this universe for you and I in this church. And that's very comforting. So we make it our priority the kingdom of God, his person, his will, his presence, his calling. We pray, we read, we consider, and we face the world. Each day, I've been talking about my sister loves that phrase, you know, progress, not perfection, but of course, the all-time rehab phrase is one day at a time, right? If you've ever done anything with rehab, you know, it's like one day at a time, right? One day of sobriety becomes a week, becomes a month, becomes a year, can become four or five years. My sister just celebrated four years of not drinking alcohol. Now, to some of you, that's no big deal. But to some of you, you understand, that is, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And look at the fruit of her life and the good fruit of that. I talked to someone recently in my neighborhood, and they said, oh, I've got a testimony. I can't wait to share it. I used to do all this. I go, I go well, how long have you been clean? Just a little under two years. I said, good. Let's talk next year. Time, Jesus said wisdom is justified by our children. Good decisions are proven over time. You see, good decisions, character, conduct, testimony, time. That's, that's the beauty of getting right with the Lord. The, the longer you're right with the Lord, the more credibility you have on your resume with humanity. So seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. He's got it. And then last but not least, we see this phrase, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own, tro- own things, sufficient for the day of its own trouble. Right. Like, today's got plenty of challenges. There's, there's plenty of challenges today. Tomorrow will take, tomorrow is there, and here's the thing, our life is filled with tomorrows. So if you live 10 years, that's, you know, 3,600 3,650 days, right? So 10 years, you just take 350, just say 350 times it by 10. 
So you times that by 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. You start to get in the thousands, tens of thousands of days. So someone like me, 60, I've lived tens of thousands of days. And for young people, I've lived tens of thousands of days with a plan for tomorrow during that time. I have. I've got a plan for tomorrow. I'm going to the Ark of Montebello to teach for Poncho. I've got a plan for tomorrow when I come back from the Ark of Montebello to take a nap at 3 o'clock <laughs> in the room with the AC. And I've got a plan for 5.30. I'm going to go for a walk in the evening with my wife and look at the sunset. I've got a plan for tomorrow. Montebello, two services, good nap, nice walk, sunset. And then Monday off because it's a holiday. I even got a plan for the day past tomorrow. And so do you. So far, all my tomorrows have come to pass to become today. <laughs> We're alive. All my tomorrows have become my todays. But we need to understand, someday your tomorrow will not be your today. Did you follow that? Someday your tomorrow will not be your today. When we die on our today, there is no tomorrow. We have a plan for tomorrow, and we see tomorrow until it's your last day, and then there is no tomorrow, right? <laughs> there is no tomorrow. So tomorrow is always right there to think about, to plan for, to prepare for. The bills are due, automatic payments that happen on the 5th or the 6th, whatever. We all get it. But there won't be a tomorrow someday for all of us. And then who, the people we love will, will face that tomorrow. It'll be there today, but it won't be our today because we're gone in eternity. And that's why Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Now, the Bible tells us, it does tell us that, you know, the prudent foresee evil and take refuge. The foolish pass on are punished. We're told in Proverbs, look to the ant, how he sows in the springtime, then has his wealth for the wintertime. The Bible tells us plenty about being prudent, having foresight, and having a plan. It's good to be prudent, have foresight, have a plan. What did Joseph do in the book of Genesis? He had the dream that Potiphar had. He interpreted seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. He made good decisions with seven years of plenty to lead a nation through seven years of famine. That's planning. That's administration. That's a good thing. And if you're single, you're a steward of your life. So it's good to seek the Lord for today and have a vision and a plan for tomorrow. But hold on to tomorrow very loosely. Because even in the book of James, it says, hey, you, you people that have a brilliant plan for tomorrow to make money. Because I usually have a plan for tomorrow that can make money in advance of kingdom. He says, you should say if the Lord wills, we'll go to that city and we'll do that business plan. If the Lord wills, that's going to happen. We can't presume it's going to happen. So it goes back to your kingdom come. Your will be done, earth is in heaven. So you can have a plan for this and that, to plan for your children, because it does say it, what a righteous man leaves inheritance to his children's children. So you want to leave inheritance of faith to your grandchildren. But it's certainly biblical to have a plan of generational wealth to put your kids in front of things instead of behind things. But it doesn't do much good if you haven't given them the spiritual inheritance. But if you give them the spiritual inheritance, then maybe the financial inheritance they can use for wisdom and be wise. That's to be determined when, you're, when you don't have a tomorrow. <laughs> That'll play out when you don't have a tomorrow, in most cases. So tomorrow's a funny thing. I'm in today, we're in today, and we have a plan for tomorrow. But someday there's no tomorrow. And so Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Because there's things that we worry about for tomorrow. There are plenty of things that can scare you if you want to worry about tomorrow. There are plenty of things that can upset you about tomorrow. The statistics show that like 85% of what we worry about never comes to pass. And just even speaking with Brian Jameson here in the office yesterday, you know what maturity and wisdom takes on as you get older is you realize you pray for what you can't, you just have no bearing in it. Like, I, I'm not going to go rescue people in Afghanistan. I, I, I can't call for an inquiry to, to make things transparent so this doesn't happen again in U.S. history. I, I don't have any of those things. I, I'm so frustrated. I'm so exasperated. I'm in tears last Saturday. Well, what can I do? I can send money to Uganda and put shoes on orphans. That's what I can do. 
That's what we can do. I can't lose sleep over what these people are doing train wrecking our country right now. What can I do? I can't live in fear. Like, there are a number of people in our church that are facing termination of their jobs because it's their conviction not to get a forced vaccine that becomes more suspicious by the day. Nothing against those who did get vaccines. And I mean that very sincerely. That's your choice, and I'm glad you did. That's not my place to say. But we have people in our church that are going to be terminated in the medical profession and other professions that are sending me their letters, they're sending me the stuff they're getting from their bosses and the cancel culture and all that stuff. And I'm like, we're getting requests almost every day for our resources to write letters and stuff like that. Did you ask your pastor? Oh, we're scared to ask our pastor to write a religious exemption. Okay, we'll be happy to do that. Sam, you take this one, I'll get the next one. That's the world we live in. That would cause you to be upset. That would cause anxiety. If you have a mortgage, and I know people that have mortgages, whose jobs are going to be terminated in the next few weeks if they follow through with all this stuff. And that's, that's for real. But you know, God's bigger than that. And who knows what tomorrow might bring? Because in the Bible, it's always like, it looks like it's the end of the world, and then Christ our hero comes to the rescue. He's in the tomb, and then he's not, right? Like, Goliath's like, and then he's gone. And David's like, what? You know, like, I mean, that's just, it's like we, there's no denying the reality of it, but we need our Heavenly Father's perspective upon it. That's what we need to do. I was reading something recently that really got my attention about the universe. One of my favorite songs is God of Wonders, right? We all know God of Wonders. One of my favorites, because it came out right when Worship Generation was getting traction as a ministry 20 years ago. I forever associate it with all the times we played it at outreaches and all these events, Jeremy Camp. Everyone in WG did God of Wonders. So I want to read you some things that you'll find interesting about planet Earth. God of Wonders beyond our galaxy. So planet Earth, of course, is the third planet from our sun. We are 93, millions from, 93 million miles from our sun. It's 110 miles to Baker... Excuse me. It's 110 miles from here to Barstow. My favorite exit. You know the one with the Starbucks and the Chipotle, all that one? It's 110 miles from here. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You see it, and it's got everything. 110 miles. Okay? Well, from here, where we're at in Fountain Valley, to the sun, is 93 million miles. That's a pretty big number. It's our neighborhood. Third planet. We're 93 million miles from the sun. We're the third planet. Perfectly positioned, of course, by the way. It's 186,000 miles per second is the speed of light. 186,000 miles per second. So 8.3 minutes gets the light from the sun to us right now. Now, in our Milky Way galaxy, so that's our planet, there's our solar system. In our Milky Way galaxy, because we're part of the Milky Way galaxy, our neighborhood gets bigger 20,000 light years away from us in our galaxy is Stephanson number 2-18. This is another sun. This sun is 2,150 times larger than our sun. So this sun's radius is the, equal to our sun going all the way up to Saturn in our solar system in its radius. So Earth is just in the middle of that sun. It just goes out to the sixth planet of our solar system. So that's a neighboring sun 2,000 times the size of our sun. And it's in our neighborhood. It's in our galaxy. It's in the Milky Way galaxy. There are 500 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. 500 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. 500 billion stars. Like, I, I think I skipped that class in seventh grade. That's a lot of stars. 500 billion stars. Now, the galaxy next to us, our neighbor, and that galaxy is 2.5 million light years away from us. In that galaxy, our neighboring galaxy has one trillion stars. That's a lot of stars. What's interesting about this is the Andromeda galaxy, along with the Milky Way galaxy, and our other neighbor, so we have our neighbor here and our neighbor there. The other neighbor is the Triangulum galaxy, These three galaxies are what's called the local group by our scientists. We also have like some tenants. We have 80 dwarf galaxies that come into our cluster. We're called a cluster. 
Recall the local groups of the Milky Way, Andromeda, Triagulum galaxies, the three of us. I'm here, my two neighbors, our two neighbors, with 80 dwarf galaxies. Those are like the apartments next door behind us. They're our cluster. This cluster is part of a bigger cluster called the Vigro Supercluster, with lots of neighbors in our neighborhood, just like us in our galaxy, other galaxies, which is part of a larger group called the Laniakea Supercluster. Your surfers know that's easy to remember, right? Because it's Laniakea, like the surf spot in Hawaii, the Laniakea Cluster. There are 10 million superclusters with over 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Let me say that again. There are 10 million superclusters with over 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. David said, when I consider heavens and the work of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take him to consideration? The psalmist also says that God holds the, the stars in the width of his hand. And then Jesus said he knows the hairs in our head. And of course, everything you are was one cell in your mother's womb at the point of conception. It just multiplied. So this is perspective. This is perspective. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he's got this. So when all that would upset you about today and tomorrow is compared to trillions and trillions and trillions of galaxies and stars, where all that ever happened in time, space, and matter is focused upon planet Earth, the city of Jerusalem, and God himself coming to die on the cross to redeem us, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, to be with him in glory for all eternity, to take this dust, this mortal, into immortality, this corruptible to incorruptibility, to rule and reign with him, that's perspective. He's got your laptop. He's got your daily bread. We can trust God with everything.